Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. You had a notable conversion in the last chapter, and Luke will tell that story three times over the course of the book of Acts, though he only tells it once in chapter 9. We have another notable conversion here in chapter 10, and in chapter 10, Luke goes ahead and tells the story of this conversion three times back to back rather than spreading it throughout the book. What is he saying? Well, pay attention. Usually the Bible does not repeat something three times in a row. So when it does, it's bolded, it's highlighted, it's underlined, you're being told this is important. As you listen to the story, you'll discover that Luke could have told this in about the same amount of space that it took him to tell of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. But instead of that, which was, what, 15 verses, here we have a whole chapter of 48 verses, plus 18 more in the next chapter, all telling three times in a row this conversion of Cornelius. The gospel is taking its first step out of Israel to the Gentiles. And this is a big deal. Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house 
and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed, By hanging on a tree, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Now, Peter, Luke repeats all of this again in the next chapter. We won't read that. You can see that it's there. Verse 7, I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat, and so on. Let's go down to verse 17 of chapter 11. Peter is defending his, what he did to the church in Jerusalem. He winds up the story with this. Verse 17, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. So that's the payoff there, 11.18. God has granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. 
unto life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story of the conversion of Cornelius that Luke tells us three times in a row to help us understand how important it is. Father, we thank you that the word broke out of Judea. It broke out of uh, being a Jewish possession. And it has come to all the earth, starting first with this Roman soldier. Lord, we praise you that you show no partiality, that it is not simply Jews, your ancestral people who can be saved, that it is us too, nobodies, from the fringes of the earth, We have heard your call, and you have spoken to us and given us repentance unto life. Father, help us to celebrate that today as we hear how you brought the good news to the very first Gentile. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we can see from the payoff, the very end of this the unit in verse 18 of chapter 11, the point here is that God is now saving Gentiles. God is sending the gospel to non-Jews as well. And we need to accept that work. And of course, as non-Jews, we need to celebrate that, that the gospel has come to us. If we look at this chapter, there's, there's obviously a lot here. We're not going to talk about everything by any means. We're going to look at this a lot more briefly because Luke's point is that this the church had nothing to do with this. God drove this expansion to the Gentiles. The apostles did not sit down and say, we're a little bit limited in our growth potential because we're only reaching 5-10% to 10% of the population. How can we break out? How can we reach other emerging markets? The apostles did not sit down and think about that question. God had to come to them and say, Peter, you are going to go evangelize a Gentile. So we see in the text, we can see God's preparations, God's initiative, God's gifts. All three of those things are present here. We can start with the preparations. Right in verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea. What is Caesarea? Well, it sounds vaguely familiar. It sounds sort of like a Bible town. Beyond that, certainly before reading the commentaries on this passage, I could not have told you that Caesarea was the capital of the Roman province of Palestine. Caesarea is on the Mediterranean in the far north of Israel, practically into the territory of Lebanon today. And there resided the procurator who would govern the whole province of Palestine. Now there were client kings such as the Herods or who would govern from other pieces of it from time to time. But Caesarea was a predominantly Gentile city that nonetheless had a significant Jewish population and was uh, borderline in many respects, being in the Roman province of Palestine, but not really a traditional Israelite city, having a a large Jewish population, but not a majority Jewish population. And, in other words, being a place that is the logical next step. If you're moving from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, now to 
the Roman foothold in the province that, occup- that comprises all of those places, you go on to Caesarea. And at the end of the last chapter, verse 43 of chapter 9, we left Peter with Simon a Tanner in Joppa. Joppa is only about 30 miles from Caesarea. So we have Joppa, we have Caesarea, the two right places, place where the gospel can get out of the Holy Land without having to travel very far. We're still in the Holy Land according to Roman provincial maps. But according to the history of God's people, we're just outside the Holy Land. So that's the right places, Caesarea and Joppa. God also prepares the right people. Who are these people? Well, the first one that is brought up right away, Cornelius, the centurion. So a grizzled career Roman military officer. He's not, well, he's not a lot of things. He's probably not particularly young or particularly poor, right? He's got three personal servants who he can afford to send 30 miles away on a multi-day trip. He's a man of fairly significant status. He's also, obviously, a Gentile and a career soldier whose job is to occupy Palestine. So in our age of post-colonialism and anti-imperialism, it's easy to think with our broader culture that imperialism and colonialism are some of the worst evils one can perpetrate. And yet, here's Cornelius involved in that very thing. He is a soldier, and the whole chapter doesn't say anything about, and then Cornelius quit soldiering. He continues to work for Caesar, even while obeying, following Christ. So Luke lets us know, he doesn't try to gloss over this guy's profession, and he makes it clear that this is a soldier and not just a grunt, but somebody who is definitely well-established within the officer hierarchy. But Luke profiles him this way with four, four character qualities. He's a devout man, one who fears God with all his house, gives alms generously, and prayed to God all the time. Now, you know, you're reading a magazine article or something, or you have to write a bio for something you're involved in. Usually, what do people put? I like to go on hikes. I like the smell of milk. Or they put in some things like that. But Luke puts, this guy is, well, he's devout. He's God-fearing. He's a prayer warrior. He's an almsgiver. And we can read the profile of Cornelius and say, does he even need to be saved? He sounds like a much better Christian than I am. Well, what is Luke's point? Well, one point that he's making in this very long narrative is even religious people need Jesus. Even the most devout individual, the most God-fearing individual, doesn't have everything he needs. Some have tried to argue that this story isn't really about the conversion of Cornelius at all, that it's actually about the conversion of the Jewish church as they realize that they need to accept Gentiles. But that's not what the text says. Look at 11.14. Uh, 
Send men to Joppa. Call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. What is the angel telling Cornelius in the vision? Cornelius, you're not saved. You need Peter to come give you the gospel about Jesus before you will be saved. Being religious is not enough. You have to know Jesus. Being very devout. Being very generous. Being very prayerful. Training your whole household to fear God. Those are all really good things. But apart from the knowledge of Christ, they're not enough. And that is a lesson that Cornelius had to learn. As well as the lesson on the other side that the church had to learn of, yes, we're accepting Gentiles now, not after they become Jews, but as such, as Gentiles. So, nonetheless, if somebody was writing a one-sentence profile of you, would those be the most outstanding characteristics? God-fearer, generous giver, prayer warrior, Someone who disciples his whole household. It's a high bar. Why why did Luke pick this one to be the first Gentile convert that he tells us about? Well, because the transition is so easy. We are, yes, we're stepping outside Israel, but we're going to the godliest Gentile you could possibly imagine. We're not going to some kind of low-life, scummy Gentile. We're going to the very best of all the Gentiles. Baby steps. Baby steps. That's why Luke shows us Cornelius. And notice the other person who's involved in this. The other person is the Apostle Peter. And we've already met Peter quite a bit in Luke's Gospel and here in Acts. He's the obvious leader of the Apostle. He's the spokesman. He's the one who, if you think of an apostle, or if you hear an apostle saying something to Jesus, it's most likely going to be Peter. And Peter is also, you know, he's not Paul. He's not a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's not a rabbi. He's not somebody educated in the best schools. He's just a fisherman. But by the same token, he's big on Judaism and the traditions of the fathers. And he says that. In this story, that's highlighted multiple times, where Peter says, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. You want to find a Jew who keeps food laws? That's me. I don't touch, right? If it comes up in my net and it's not supposed to be eaten, back it goes. If somebody offers me chocolate dip bacon, I say, no, I don't eat that stuff. That's Peter. So just as in American political history only Nixon could go to China, known for being tough on communism, so old Richard Nixon flies to China and meets with Mao, so here only Peter could go to the Gentiles. He's known for being tough on Gentiles. He's known for his devotion to the Jewish ways. And he is the ultimate insider. He's not a fringe figure like Paul. Not a Johnny-come-lately. Not a replacement apostle like Matthias. This comes from the very highest circles within the church. There is nobody of greater prestige who could go than the apostle Peter. And he's the one 
who leads off, who makes this first trip to see a Gentile. So we have the very best, most upright Gentile imaginable paired with the most senior, gifted, outspoken of the original 12 apostles. And God sends them a vision, sends them both visions telling them to get together. But this also happens at the right time. God doesn't bring in the Gentiles before Pentecost, before he sends the Spirit and evangelizes the Jewish people in Jerusalem. He doesn't send Peter to the Gentiles before Samaria, because that would have been out of order. He first evangelizes the lost sheep of Judea and Jerusalem, and then he goes to Samaria and reunites northern and southern Israel that had been split apart for so many centuries. And then after those things are done, after we've seen the Ethiopian eunuch, after we've seen Simon the sorcerer, now we have this mission to the Gentiles. So we have the right people, the right place, the right time. And in this mix that God has prepared with the right people in the right place at the right time, God sends two visions. The first vision is a vision sent to Cornelius. Cornelius, nothing bad. I've remembered your prayers and your alms. So don't be afraid that this is going to be something bad. This is something good. And the good thing is, this man called Simon Peter, who's in a city 30 miles away, you need to talk to him. And that's what the vision says. Now, as we know, God continues at times to send visions to save people. There are many, many accounts of this coming out of the Muslim world these days. And almost always, the key feature in the visions of today, as in this vision, is that God comes to you in a vision and says, go find a Christian and talk to him. So if you're already a Christian, right, don't be expecting a vision Nor should you be expecting a vision to come and convert any of the unbelievers that you know. If God does deign to send them a vision, that vision is going to tell them, go talk to your Christian friend. So what that means is that we as the Christian friend need to be ready if God sends somebody to us through a vision. Peter didn't know what was going on. When the messengers come to him and say, Peter, uh, our boss would really like to talk to you. You want to come over to Caesarea with us? Peter says, sure. But, and obviously he was prepared to preach the gospel to them once he got there. But he didn't know what was happening. And in fact, it even comments on that in terms of Peter's vision. Verse 17 of chapter 10. Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant. Scripture almost never comments to us on what the characters are thinking. Comments like this are vanishingly rare, and yet here we're told Peter could not figure it out. What was Peter's vision? A great sheet with all kinds of animals, clean and unclean. The lamb next to the pig, next to the lobster, next to the goat. And God tells him, kill and eat all of these. Now the time in one sense looks just right. It's lunchtime. He's praying, he's hungry, he's waiting for lunch. 
And as he waits for lunch, he has this vision of all kinds of food. Some of us have a vision of all kinds of food before lunch every single day. Peter has it on this particular day, and the voice from heaven tells him to eat the animals. And then it happens twice more. Right? Peter has this unfortunate habit of saying, No, Lord, and he says it here again. He's told it to Jesus on earth. He says it here, Not so, Lord. If somebody is your Lord, you don't say no, you say yes. When the Lord tells you to do something, that means you need to do it. Especially if you're going to call him Lord, say yes, Lord. But Peter doesn't say yes, Lord. He says no, Lord. I won't do it. And then he can't figure out what the vision means. Why am I having this? Right? It's like having some kind of dream in which you're committing some horrible sin. That's how Peter regarded this. That's never pleasant, especially if it happens time and time again. Why is my subconscious telling me to go commit this sin? This makes no sense. And so Peter is really bothered about the vision. Well, then the men from Cornelius arrive and Peter goes along with them. They travel back to Caesarea and perform the visit. So, but notice that Peter is already ready in one sense because he hosts the messengers overnight. Cornelius the centurion, a just man, verse 22, he's inviting you. So Peter invited them in and lodged them. You're Gentiles, you can stay with me. Already he is learning something of the hospitality of the kingdom. He doesn't look at them and say, hmm, you know, there's a hotel down the street. You guys came and want to talk to me? Sure, come in and spend the night. And we'll look at this passage, by the way, next week through that lens of hospitality because Luke makes a big deal out of it. And that's actually where the Jewish uh, church takes it in verse 3 of chapter 11. You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? Not you went into the uncircumcised and baptized them. Not you went into the uncircumcised and bestowed the Holy Spirit on them. But you ate with who? This table fellowship theme is incredibly important in this passage. So we'll talk about that next week. But today we see the visit. Peter invites these Gentiles to stay with him. And then he goes into the home of Cornelius the Gentile. And he leads with this. Verse 28. As soon as Cornelius is done worshiping him, Peter said to them, and who's them? Well, it's not just Cornelius. Cornelius is an important person. He's somebody from, certainly from the elite of his own city. And we should think of him as having a fairly substantial home. And when Peter arrives, gathered in the living room, probably sitting in chairs that have been set up for the occasion, is basically everybody Cornelius knows. His family and his necessary friends. So Cornelius was waiting for them, verse 24, and called together his relatives and close friends. So if you can think about this, everybody you would be able to invite saying, 
I've got an out-of-town speaker coming, and I think he's going to have something really important for all of us to hear. Will you come over to my house you know, tomorrow afternoon and hear this speaker? So Cornelius was of such a social position that there were quite a few people there. Now, I don't know if you have a lot of experience with gatherings like this, my parents do this all the time. That's very typical for them to set up chairs in their living room and you'll walk in the door and there will be 30 people sitting there and typically they have me doing the speaking. Right? I walk in and there's everybody ready to hear what I have to say. Well, that's what Peter experiences here. It's a new house, new city. He walks in the door and there is not just Cornelius, but everybody Cornelius knows gathered in chairs waiting to hear what Peter has to say. And Peter leads not with, wow, thanks for coming out, everybody, or I'm really glad you all came today because I have something you'll really like to hear. No, he leads with this. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or visit someone of another nation. Just so you guys know, I am breaking a Jewish taboo to even be here. Right? So what are they thinking? Yeah, you're welcome too, Jew. <laughs> Try being a little friendlier, Peter. But Peter, that's all that can come into his mind. He comes in the door to this Gentile's home and all his thoughts can gather at first is, this is weird, this is weird, this is weird, this is weird, this is weird. Why am I here? Why am I here? And so they offer him the chance to speak and he says, this is unlawful. This ain't right. But I'm trying to learn that it is right. And Peter has the humility, right, to work through this verbally right in front of them. Typical Peter. Thinking out loud. Here he does it again. He tells them all what he's thinking rather than welcoming them and saying, thanks for coming to hear me. It's, I shouldn't be here, but I'm here under duress. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. That's why I came without objection. The old Peter, the Peter of last week, would have told the messengers, no, no, I'm not going there. The Peter of today, who has had a little talking to from the Almighty, he's here and he's ready to speak to you. Peter performs this visit and he asks, okay, what do you want to hear? And Cornelius says, well, I had this really weird vision. And so Peter responds and says, here's what that vision was about. Here's the message, Cornelius. Here's the message, Gentiles of Caesarea who are Cornelius' friends and family. God is not a respecter of persons. Now what does that mean? Well, what Peter means by that is God is not stuck on us Jews. God is willing to save other people too. Now that... Right, That's the pill that the Jewish people throughout Acts can't swallow. That's a pill that Peter himself almost choked on 
more than once. Because what had the Jewish message been, oh, since the time of Deuteronomy? We are the chosen people. God is saving the world through us. And pretty soon, God is saving the world through us. The world drops out of that sentence, and it just becomes God is saving us. That's the Jewish message. Now they added on that, you can come be one of us. Join us. God is saving us, the Jews. Come be a Jew. But Peter is forced by the vision from the Almighty to say, no, that's not, that's not the message anymore. The message now is God is saving anyone who believes in Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He did all these good things. He commanded us to preach about him. That's Peter's message. And then verse 43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Not whoever believes in him and becomes a Jew receives forgiveness of sins, but simply whoever. And that means you Gentiles gathered in Cornelius' living room to hear me. It is a breakthrough. And that's why Luke tells us the story so many times in a row. Three times in a row he repeats this story so that we know this was God's idea. Peter was not sitting there thinking, how can I get to the Gentiles? The Jerusalem apostles were not thinking, who should we send to the Gentiles? God said, I'm going to the Gentiles, and Peter, I'm sending you. So Peter and these six Jewish Christians go to Cornelius in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. Well, there are seven witnesses who saw what happened, men of impeccable Jewish credentials, and they witness this. Peter speaks. While Peter is still speaking, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. So somehow the Spirit comes, and it's obvious, maybe speaking in tongues such as was seen at the original Pentecost, we're not sure, simply that the Spirit fell, and Peter and his six witnesses that were tagging along saw it. Those of the circumcision were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles' Also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So the meeting sort of took on a life of its own suddenly before Peter could finish his sermon. The Gentiles start speaking in tongues. They start praising God and saying, right, things like Jesus saves. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And the six Jewish Christians are stunned. Wait, this is happening? There's no way. This is mind-boggling. They can't get over what they're seeing. Peter's message to Cornelius was, people like you can be saved. And they were saved because to receive the Spirit is to receive Christ. Which is why Peter said, let's baptize them. These people know Jesus. They have His Spirit. The Spirit 
is one with Christ. You know, Christ means, the name Christ means anointed by the Spirit. And so if you have the Spirit, you have Jesus. These Gentiles had the Spirit, meaning they had Jesus. And Peter said, let's baptize them. And then he stayed a few days, right? He violated the Jewish taboo further. He didn't just walk in the door and talk to them and walk back out. He actually stayed in the house for a few days. Now, naturally, that caused problems back in Jerusalem. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. They started to fight with Peter. Peter, what have you done now? This was not part of the plan. This is not a legitimate area of ministry for the church. Right? Sadly, this scene has been replayed many times in the history of the church. You went and evangelized who? People from what ethnic group? People from what social class? People who work in what profession? You did what? Well, Peter runs into that here. Peter tells them the whole story. I was in Joppa. I saw the sheep. I had messengers come to me. I went with them back to Cornelius and I just gave them the basic apostolic message that we've been giving everybody. And while I was standing there, the Holy Spirit came on them. It was not me. It was God. That's his message. Verse 17. God gave them the same gift as he gave us. And I couldn't stand against him. This was God's idea to save the Gentiles. As Luke's narrative makes clear, it was all about the vision Cornelius had. Cornelius was not thinking, I need an apostle to tell me how to be saved. God put that idea in his head. Peter was not thinking, I need to go talk to some Gentiles. God put that idea in his head. God brings the two of them together. And then God sends the Spirit and makes it clear that these Gentiles are saved. And so, when they heard these things, they quit arguing. They stopped saying, what about, what about, what about? They quieted down, which is always a good thing in a church argument when one side stops talking and realizes, oh, the other side is right. Well, that's what happened to the circumcision party. They admitted, Peter, you're right. This was obviously God's idea, not your idea. And then they glorified God and said, God is saving Gentiles. God has given the Gentiles repentance unto life. The true turning from sin that is a turning toward Christ, a way of finding life. No one else can grant repentance. It's a gift from God. So Luke's point, God sent the gospel to the Gentiles. God did it. God brought salvation to us Gentiles. The church needed to accept that then. The church, of course, needs to accept it today. And we need to rejoice and praise God that he thought us worth saving. The Gentiles weren't asking for salvation. The Jews weren't trying to push it on them. But God brought salvation to us. He thought it worthwhile to evangelize you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your word to the Gentiles. We thank you for Cornelius, this devout man who nonetheless needed more, who needed your son, and that you sent Peter to tell him about Jesus. 
Lord, we thank you that the Jerusalem establishment accepted the Gentiles as such could be saved. Father, we ask that you would help us not to be prejudiced against any group, uh, Jew or Greek, slave or free, rich or poor, black or white. Father, help us to see that in your kingdom, the message is for everyone. Investment bankers and prostitutes and people in between. We thank you, Father, that you sent the message to the Gentiles and that you are continuing to reap a vast harvest for your glory among the Gentiles. We pray for our Jewish friends to be saved too. In Jesus' name, amen.